gentlemen, welcome back to these go to eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, Zach Bartles. You're not quite halfway around the country, but close enough. How you doing, man? And we're we're in the same time zone. We so are, yeah. We we were trying to work out like, all right, it's going to be four thirty your time, five thirty my time, and then and then we're like, wait a minute, no, no. <laughs> I I started thinking through the the logistics of you're an hour uh, ahead of me, and I'm like, no, nobody nobody's an hour behind me. I'm in the Eastern time zone. Right. <laughs> That's funny. And, and considering we've casted with each other a couple times, you'd think we would remember that. But <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, before we get into it, and I'm super excited about um, what we're going to be discussing today. Um, Zach, I know this is going to be a, a little personal for you. I, I know you're going to have a lot to say about this. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I want to give a shout out to Mission Aware. <laughs> oh, my wounded heart. See, I'm, I'm, you've got to be conflicted now, though, because you're on These Go to 11 now, which you have your products for, you know, for this podcast. <laughs> but they, with gut check, you're still waiting. <laughs> well, let me let me point out two things. One is there is a gut check army T-shirt on the Missional Wear site. Nice. It's very attractive. It's designed by Peter Voth, the, the man. And you can get it, and and you can get it in the section called Happy Rant. <laughs> That's where they've placed it. But I've been in talks with Jeff, and it's it's coming. You know, they work in there's church time, and then there's something even slower, which is like Christian apparel time, I guess. <laughs> That's overseas but, time, is it? At missionary time. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I want to point out, though, is is something that occurred to me that between Ted Cluck and myself now. We've got like three out of the six uh, partnered podcasts <laughs> with Missional Wear covered. And so everyone else needs to watch your back. I know. You know? <laughs> Doc and Devo, we're coming for you next. One of those two clowns is out and I'm in is what I see in the future. Uh, you're just you're just taking over the uh, the Mission Aware community there. <laughs> Of course, as you know, I don't even have time uh, to like uh, do what I'm doing. So uh, I've got you waiting and rescheduling and everything. So maybe I should stop here. Call it good. Good enough. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Um, but no, I mean, you know, mission aware is great. And I, I mean, I remember, you know, us getting in the door, um, you know, on these go to 11, it was, it was a longer process. I mean, I don't think they have, you know, it's not like they're a huge corporation over there. You know, I think it's just a few guys trying to, you know, get some stuff up and going. And, um, you know, when it, when it does finally get going though, it is, um, it is sweet. And as we can attest, you know, great, great products over there. They're moleskin journals. Um, I've just recently gotten into, uh, using those to, uh, take notes for my, uh, D and D sessions, nothing to do with the Bible, just my D and D sessions. Um, I almost just called you a hipster. And then you said D and D sessions. And I was like, Nope, Nope, don't say that. No nerd. That's what we need you know, to call you. Man, nerd culture, hipster culture. There's overlap. You there know what you I love at uh, Missional Wear? What's that? They're, they've got posters now. They're like black posters with uh, like the Trinity uh, symbol. You know, yeah. S non S. Uh, the five solas. The five. Um, uh, what are the five points of Calvinism? I mean, these things are so gorgeous. 
I want them all, but I am out of wall space, both at home and in my study at the <laughs> church. But oh my goodness, they've got some cool stuff over there. Nice, yeah. And I, you know, I always love highlighting the. Um, I mean, they have a huge poster. It's like a three by four poster, a four by three poster of the entire Book of Romans, right, both yeah. in English and um, and in Greek. Um, so that that was always one of my favorites over there. Nice. That, nice. That's, that is the money. Yeah, I feel like I should have that, that. I feel like my pastor cred, my like Calvinist pastor cred, is lower than it would be if I had that poster. <laughs> as soon as you put it on there, it's like you're you're in the big leagues now. <laughs> <laughs> my phone will ring. It'll be like Al Mohler. Hey, you want to hang out? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's excellent. Oh man. Um, so yeah, definitely check out mission aware, check out, um, go to, go to happy rant to check out the gut check army t-shirt and then <laughs> go, <laughs> go to these, go to 11 to check out all the products uh, on, from us over there. Oh man. Can't get over it. Um, like turn on Fox news to watch some CNN. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome! Oh man. Well, um, we've got some uh, we've got some great casts coming for you. Uh, Zach and I we've been talking about um, you know having we're going to have um, John Crotz on here. Um, I'm I'm in talks with him to kind of work out a schedule, try to get him on a Tuesday so that we can interview him. I'm going to send you his um, new book so that we can um, so that you can read that and we can you know discuss that with him. Um, and today is uh, no exception to that. You sent me an article over the weekend, Zach, uh, Christian Life in Exile. Um, and we're just going to kind of um, go through this because it's a fascinating article. You posted it on Facebook and then I reposted it um, on the These Go to 11 page. Um, and why don't you go ahead and I'm going to let you just kind of um, sum up the, the premise of the article. Well, it's really uplifting and upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> right. Um, sing the verse now. Uh, no. <laughs> but the, the thing here is that uh, it's it's written by an Anglican uh, churchman in England. Mm-hmm. Um, so like legit Anglican, uh, not any of this Episcopal stuff. This guy's uh, in the the heartland there. Nope. No, he's in the motherland, fatherland, the, the, whatever. He's 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 he's, in, he's on he's in the island. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's basically saying he uses uh, he, he kind of skips from uh, analogy to analogy a little bit freewheely, but uh, the main two he goes with are exile and the Titanic. Mm. Uh, and the idea is that when the the ship of uh, Western Christianity, and he never calls it like Christendom or Christian culture, and he's, he's talks about it in terms of the church itself, yep. um, which, which is something we need to get into, I think, uh, hit the iceberg comprised of radical sexual gender ideologies, Islam, and totalitarian uh, governmental instincts. Um, the, the whole, the breach below the waterline was too big to ever be mended, and the church has to prepare now for this the kind of church visible as we know it to sink, and we have to prepare to live as this hated minority, um, like Christians are in many parts, maybe most parts of the world already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much of the article is about how in denial he thinks everybody is 
about the the situation that's coming you know very soon uh it's rather alarmist uh, i thought it was su- such a good mix of great points and kind of what i see as um some some ditches that i think some christian pole- uh, not not polemics christian articles and and kind of especially this kind of warning stuff uh fall into that it was worth kind of taking apart and and sussing out mm. yeah yeah, I, you know, I've got this um, kind of first major, you know, uh, excerpt quote that um, the article brings up. He says, I'm begging you to pray that if there is catastrophic spiritual ruin ahead of us, that God would open our eyes to it before it's too late. If you have not been praying with heartfelt sincerity and desperate dependence on God, start tonight. Um, and so he really, you know, opens this letter with, you know, that that idea, that concept of just, you know, go into this thing having your eyes open. Don't go into it with blinders. Um, and, you know, it, it's just it's a really grabbing letter from the offset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there, even in that, there's I'm begging you to pray that if there's catastrophic spiritual ruin ahead and then he's like, spoiler alert, there is. Yeah, exactly. uh, there's almost a, a sense of prophecy in it, um, which I think is maybe the the biggest weakness. But I think that there are also some really important truths that that uh, we have to stop sweeping under the rug. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of um, I, I think one of the greatest um, conversations uh, that I that I heard was. Uh, Ravi Zacharias um, was doing a presentation and he had one of um, his members uh, speaking about uh, Christianity in America. And, you know, he said, before we can even talk about that, that kind of concept, he's like, I want to talk about the reference. He's like, you know, um, fish really have no reference point for being wet. They're fish. They're in the water, you know, and he's like, for you as Americans, this is another British guy speaking. For you as Americans, it's difficult to have this kind of reference point for where you are because you're in the middle of it. And so hopefully somebody with an outside perspective looking in and speaking to you about it will have a a little bit more clarity on it. And I feel like that's kind of the position that this guy is coming to us with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the helpful end of things. And then the other side is maybe we should – take a minute to discuss whether or not things that happen in England are necessarily going to follow here. Yeah. Um, I, there's a, there was just this assumption. In fact, here's a quote, what British Christians are living with today, American Christians will almost certainly be living with tomorrow. Mm. Um, which is a little hoity toity. Like, you know, you're, you're just following us. And it's like, no, actually we, we aren't always just following you. There, there has been uh, a trend of, negative stuff uh making its way over uh but you know when he says last week the head of scotland yard said that courts should remove children from extremist parents i go oh my gosh you know i'm already reading about just today homeschooled kids getting taken away because they were being taught christianity christianity during the homeschool time or something uh teenagers taken away from parents because the parents won't pump them full of the opposite sex's hormones right um and I'm going, okay, some some of this really is is happening. But I mean, just look at the gun issue and and uh tell me that we're automatically going to do whatever they've done in England. Right. You know, right. America has its own DNA, and I think because 
of the Church of England being a state church and all that goes with it and how hardcore we rejected that notion here, mm. it may be more like the gun thing and less like some of these other uh, common ground situations. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that America, um, it, at least at this point in time in history, um, I mean, is it something that I could potentially see happening? I, I think it's possible, um, but I think it's I, I think it's a ways a way ways off in terms of having that kind of unified uh, socialistic type setting here in America. I think I, I mean I really think that there's going to be too much trouble trying to implement that here in America, and so trickling down from that into the churches. That churches, you do have some unification with churches. I mean, of course, you have, um, you know, the Catholic Church. You have, you know, um, sects of Protestantism in terms of the, um, you know, the Reformed Church with uh, the Episcopal Church. Uh, you know, many of the Methodist churches, the Lutheran churches. Um, you know, they are, you know, more linked. But then you have so many other churches that are independent from one another. I think about the denomination you're mm-hmm. in. Um, with the Baptist Church, you have so many independent Baptist churches in America that aren't tied to an organization, even like the Southern Baptist Convention, which you can come and go as you please. But there are so many that are just independent from that. We are going to operate outside of a bodied, uh, a an overseer of you know guidelines and you know this much greater board that will govern everything we do and say. Um, you have so many non-denominational churches, you know, which to a certain extent, you know, being from a non-denominational church, we, we laugh at that because, you know, you put enough non-denominational churches together and it makes up a denomination. But they're all independent and have all their own unique identities within that. And so I think you're right that, you know, we're not following this kind of one you know, ch- state church that has been established and set up, at least not at this point where our government has allowed us to maintain so much autonomy within the church system. And of course, there's an awful lot of free church movement, you know, congregations in England. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Baptist church started there. Uh, there's Pentecostals, obviously the Methodism started this. I mean, it's, it's not like everybody there is Anglican, right? but this guy I don't think was even a nonconformist. I mean, so I think it's coming from a point of view of someone it's a it's a very valid point of view for him and it's valuable for us um, but it, there's an echo chamber going on there um, and and you know some of these things it's it's like with anything you go to a conference you gotta here's a disgusting metaphor chew the meat and spit the fat kind of thing right. I mean in real life don't do that but like <laughs> some of these things I'm looking at going yeah I, I am a little worried about um, you know, someone successfully using the power of the magistrate to punish my church because we won't toe the line on the new sexual identity stuff that's right. been, you know, went from being condemned by everyone, including, you know, your Hillary Clintons and stuff to right. being, you know, you're a hater if you don't toe this line in the course of a decade. Right. That makes me a little nervous. The Islamist stuff he starts talking about. I mean, I'm in Michigan I don't know if you know this about Michigan, but we have more Muslims than anybody because the Detroit area, Dearborn especially, um, that's where people come from Iraq, from uh, I mean, from, from pretty much any majority Muslim. There's, there's a, a nation. There's a big, big community. There's more mosques, more Muslims here, and I am not seeing any of this stuff happening. 
Mm. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll even read uh, that whenever a, a very, very Muslim community tries to have the, the call of prayer, you know, uh, from, from uh, you know, the minarets in the mosque, they, they, they do the call, it gets shut down. Um, right. People freak out on them because America is different and um, it, it's, it's a very uh, unique to England situation where those three points come together. That being said – uh, this has been something people have been ignoring for a long time. Did you ever read a book by uh, Josh McDowell? Came out 20 years ago, at least uh, in the 90s, called "The New Tolerance." No, I've heard of it, but I have not read it yet. I read that in college, and it scared my pants off because I saw the very beginnings of these things starting to happen. He says where they will go. And then I read it again about two years ago, and it scared my pants. I, can you get them scared off even further? <laughs> like Halfway down me. and then all the way down? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Because the stuff he had predicted had started to happen and almost like, you know, you know how people date the book of Daniel late because they're like, well, no one could predict this sort of thing. Right. It was almost like, wait a minute, he couldn't have actually written. But I read it in, in 97 or whenever, so I know. Yeah. And – it, it, there, there is a lot of this going on, uh, and so I, I, I see his his call as more of a general wake up and take a sober assessment of where you are, yeah. Rather than take everything he says at face value, uh, because a lot of what he says is is rooted in his context, just right. like anyone's stuff would be. Right. Well, what do you let, think of? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and let, I mean, let me ask you, um, you know, this as well, because. I almost feel like with just I love studying history and looking at the nature of, you know, the background of history and where things were and, and where things move. Um, and I think you're right. I think it is important that we as uh, Christians wake up and we look at this and we take a hard look at what's going on and we try to re-engage in the culture and and to be fair i think in general we need to do a better job at re-engaging in the culture um you know sitting down and instead of you know going out and and you know protesting um the homosexual movement sitting down and having coffee with homosexuals and talking to them about who jesus christ is um I feel like that's going to be a much better use of our time. And again, that's not to say that I'm not in favor of, you know, protests, the March for Life, things like that. But I think there's something to be said where, you know, if all you're doing as a Christian is engaging in what looks like uh, hatred on, you know, the other side of the road or the other side of the fence where you actually sit down with people and, and interact with them on a personal level – to me, I think that's where, you know, we can start to begin, you know, seeing some shifts and changes. But I think, too, um, you know, and this is where I want to get your thoughts, Zach. Is this really something that we should be surprised at in light of what we see happening all throughout Scripture and what Christ warns us about? Um, is this kind of something that we should be surprised at? Yeah, obviously not. Um, Jesus did say, you know, the, the situation Jesus describes makes it clear that living comfortably as a Christian is the aberration, you know, is the the exception, not yeah, the rule. Right. Um, it reminds me kind of of that Keith Green song from the 70s, um, Sleep in the Light. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, how can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Uh, the idea that we're just so comfortable, we kind of just drift off. And, and that was one of, one of his reasons why this kept happening. One was boredom, and I think that's a, a tool that the opposition to, to Christianity will always use. Just keep bringing the same things up again and again and again, literally for decades, until people just get tired of hearing about it and give in. Yeah. But the other was comfort, mm. and another was establishment longings, um, You know, meaning I, I've come to expect this from being kind of part of the, the establishment, and so I don't want to rock boat. Mm. And, and I think what you're talking about is one of the more salient points from this article, and it comes near the end, mm -hmm. which is that people assumed for years that like Jerry Falwell and uh, uh, James Dobson were going to be the solution, this culture war kind of situation. Right. And that has only made it much – I mean Satan loves the culture war. What yeah. a great distraction from the gospel. Yeah. Uh, in fact, here's a quote. Hold on. I, let me find this. This was a great quote from this. Uh, the great enemy of the church is the most skilled deceiver of all. He would be delighted if Christians trusted in an earthly political leader mm. <clears throat> to rescue them from the oncoming crisis because that will blind us to the need for spiritual solutions that are local, small, quiet, mm. and more shaped by the suffering of Christ's cross than any government's voting system. Mm. Uh, Psalm 146.3 warns, put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Mm. Uh, and, you know, so I think maybe even also ties in this whole call to, uh, you know, everything being loud and radical and on, you know, live streamed. Yeah. Um, my buddy Kevin DeYoung uh, says that what we need is plotting visionaries. Mm. Now, there's a, a great – that's a pregnant with meaning, that, that phrase, plotting visionaries. I'm going to do stuff today that's not going to make me look like a rock star. But if we're you know, doing this, Christians, clergy, lay people, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, we're plotting in faithfully day after day after day, uh, not, not railing and fighting and protesting all the time, yeah. just loving, preaching the gospel – You know, the, the, the actual stuff the Bible tells us to do, Yeah, that's when this stuff starts to turn around. Yeah, yeah. Living, living that everyday life, you know, I, I see articles come out that, um, that rail against, you know, if, if you're not um, being persecuted in some way, then you're not living your Christian life properly. If people aren't mocking you, then you're not living your Christian life properly. And, you know, I... I'll admit over the years I've struggled with that um, concept because, you know, I always felt like, well, I, I have all these unbelieving friends who I know and who like me. What am I doing wrong that they like me? And then, I, <laughs> you know, I like I came to the conclusion, like looking at scripture that, you know, I really I don't think when you look at Christ in his life, it wasn't it wasn't the people outside of the church that didn't like him. I mean, you know, they were coming to him. They were drawn to him. It was, it was religious leaders who were in the church who, you know, he was coming in and tearing down the traditions and tearing down the man-made religion that were getting sick and tired and fed up with him. But, you know, he was, he was drawing those people to himself and he calls us to be that salt and that light. And so to me, I've come to that position where I'm like, you know what? I, I don't need to go into every single person I meet who's not a believer and just smack them over the head with a Bible, you know, and, and be like, you need to turn or burn. You know, it's like, no, I mean, I, I, these are people that I want to have a genuine relationship with. I want to truly care about. And 
when they see like, oh man, here's someone who says he's a Christian and he's treated me differently than these other Christians that I've seen either on television or that I've had experience with. To me, that that's what opens up the door for the gospel and allowing Christ to come in and do his work. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, if it would make you feel better, if people were mocking you, I'll mock you. There you go. You know, <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, and, and you know, there's what I think. Here, let me read a comment. Do you ever read the comments on articles? Uh, yes, and then I get fed up and annoyed with them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I skim them and I look for someone. And there's always one. There's always a good one. No matter what, even on YouTube, there's a good comment. And in order to keep my my calvinism from just like burning me down i've got to find that one good comment and here's the one from under this article someone writes the author seems to have no faith in god's sovereign irresistible ability to arrest cultural degeneration through the gospel and reverse it i would guess that england in john wesley's day was just as bad spiritually socially and politically if not worse in certain ways but god used the evangelical revival to radically change the country and pull it back from a disaster um, that's, I think, kind of what you're talking about. This is this is the sowing the seeds. This is the the leavening effect that when the gospel is preached, even when people don't uh, come to faith, the gospel being preached has a leavening effect yeah. on the culture. Yeah. And I think a, a large thing, a large contributing factor to what's going on, maybe it's not so much hitting an iceberg, at least not here, at least not yet, mm-hmm. and more just. We're not we're not spreading the leaven. Right. That does not sound sturdy, but I don't mean it that way. Uh, I mean the gospel. I yeah. mean we're not we're not proclaiming the gospel with our words. We're thinking that if we just kind of we're just kind of here and we're just kind of nice and we and we don't rock the boat and we don't get anyone's attention in a bad way and nobody you know sues us, everything will be okay. And uh, I, I gotta say I'm with this author. In in saying that's that's no that's sort of appeasement. It doesn't work in any sense. It doesn't doesn't work for for Neville Chamberlain in, mm-hmm. in a in a war. It doesn't work for the church in a much bigger, much more important war. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's the struggle that the church has. Um, I mean, I think that's the struggle that the church has always run into. Um, how do we how do we engage in the culture without becoming um, part of the culture? You know, in in terms of adopting its you know philosophies and context. I mean, you know, you look at the Church of Corinth, where you know Paul is like, "Hold on a second, you know, you guys are following these practices where you know a, a son is sleeping with his mother, and you know, completely you know going off the rails. You know, like wait a minute, we got we got to get back to you know sound biblical doctrine here. You know, we need to start getting the word back into." Um, getting the word back into the church and and doing what Christ has called us to do. Um, and so I think to me, that would be the first step is, you know, the, the word getting back into the churches um, to reach the people because the churches are in and of themselves derailing. And I think they're derailing more and more, you know, I mean, I know that a person that, you know, um, happy rant goes off on all the time, you know, I mean, Greg and I used to go off on all the time, um, Stephen Furtick. Um, and I have a kind of secondhand connection to him because someone in my family actually works with his family and in the church. And so I know that he's not, you know, I, I, I believe firmly from everything that I've experienced that he's a believer, but 
he's severely derailing. You know, and those, you know, there, there needs to be people to be able to come alongside of him, other pastors within his sphere and category of influence that are like, whoa, dude, you need to get back on tracks here. Um, you're, you're Everyone's afraid that? to, man. He's, yeah. he's going to like break your car in half or something. <laughs> See, we, we, we had a window to try and get Ferdy back on track before he went all CrossFit, like crazy. Steroids. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. Um, that's that's just a libel suit waiting to happen. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure he listens to this podcast. Oh, you know he does. You know he's, he's looking for that missional wear uh, hookup himself. Uh, you know, though, when when you talk about something like like uh, you get into, we could name a bunch of names, uh, and I think Furtick is probably the least of the offenders when you start getting into people who are preaching this success, health, wealth here now. Oh yeah, stuff. Uh, and which feeds into – I mean I, I think that's another big contributing factor to where we are right now, that the yeah. church has gone just narcissistic in our theology. Yeah. Um, and you kind of said that too, uh, it, it, to the point where we feel like we're being persecuted when little nothing things happen. Right. And you know, like I, I, hear, I heard somebody freaking out the other day like because there was talk – of churches losing their tax exempt status. Yeah. Um, there's been talk of, of uh, pastors losing uh, the tax exempt housing allowance yeah. uh, whole deal there, uh, which, I mean, that the latter would be pretty hard, hard for my family to deal with, and the former would be pretty hard for my church to deal with. Right. But that's, that's not, I mean, when you watch these videos of two weeks ago, China's knocking down, burning down churches, uh, and, you know, people are being literally beheaded and we're going, Oh, I'm going to have to pay taxes. <laughs> I, we're too fat, um, spiritually. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're sluggish. Yeah. Um, and we probably, and we've been saying this for years and you, you know, you read this on every, uh, you know, every gospel coalition, nine things you need about know about X. Um, we, it would be good for the church ultimately to deal with yeah. some level of persecution because it purifies the church. Um, and the church is growing fastest right now where there is persecution, but we don't want it and we shouldn't long for it. Right. Yeah. Here, here's, I don't know what your eschatology is, Nathan, but for someone who, like me, is amillennial, uh-huh. this whole thing is far less troubling. Um, and, and what I mean is if you're premillennial – um, especially if you're kind of dispensational premillennial, you're thinking, okay, everything's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then Jesus is going to come back when he can't stand anymore, melt the whole thing and start over. So who cares? Throw up your hands. Right. Uh, that's the temptation anyway. And that's, it's often the direction these things go. The post millennials going, well, things are supposed to be getting better, 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 better. Until Jesus says, well, I'd rather be there than here and comes here. Why isn't that happening? And so there's all this, you know, freaking out where I stay. I go, Jesus said the wheat and the tares will grow up together. Mm-hmm. The worse will grow, the, the, the worse will get worse, the good will get better. Um, you know, we're going to see these things grow together until the end. Like the days of Noah, people were marrying, given in marriage. There was sin, but there was – I mean it's, it's going to continue this way until Christ comes back and he will separate them. Right. So our focus needs to be on staying faithful in this inter-advent period, not in trying to reverse engineer why things aren't going the way we think they should be, 
or just giving up because we're sure there's, you know, that again, the Titanic sinking abandoned ship. No, you know, what, what did those guys do? They stayed there and, and they, what, what's the hymn they played? Uh, the guys with the, the violins, um, it wasn't nearer my God to thee, was it? I, I'm not sure. I'm getting it mixed up with, um, that one. And then there was a hymn that the guys were singing. Um, do you remember, did you see the, uh, finest hours with Chris Pine? No. Uh, the original true story of that, the guys, when they go out to do the uh, rescue, um, were singing um, Rock of Ages when they went out um, to, to go and rescue the uh, the guys. And and, I, and that's the one that keeps coming to my mind, but I don't think that's the one they were playing on the Titanic. Um, well, there's literally no better hymn than Rock of Ages, so that's the one we should be playing <laughs> and, and proclaiming to, to everyone on the show. I mean – it, we're not allowed to abandon our post just right. because it looks like things are going to get bad. And this and this author's not saying that. He's saying right. get ready to to endure, right. which is good. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, why do we assume there that we can't repent, turn to God, and expect Him to do as He has done so many times in the past uh, with so many empires and nations and cultures and pour out his Holy Spirit and uh, give us a, a great revival. Yeah. Um, a, an awakening. Uh, you know, if we're, if we're asleep in the light, we need to wake up. Well, why aren't we praying for revival and awakening rather than these really defeated prayers of, okay, God, when they come for me, you know, help right. me not be too bummed. Right, right. <laughs> when they come for me, they can pry my gun out of my cold, dead hands. My Bible in the other hand. <laughs> That's right. I sounded like I sounded like James King for a minute there. Did you hear that, dude? Please go to hell, podcast. That's right. Maybe, maybe he could. Maybe he could kind of take me under his wing and tutor me. And someday, someday, I could take over that. That's right. That's my dream. That that would be fantastic. We could we could come up with a uh, with a uh, pseudonym for you for uh, for being his like son or something like that. <laughs> 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 oh man. Um yeah, you know, I was just I was as you were talking, I was kind of like skimming through the article again and I you oh, know I was, see how it is. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at this um this other quote he says, um in my uh Benedict option work, I've advocated for Orthodox Christian believers to start forming tight strong networks now across denominational lines and international borders to prepare for hard times ahead. What kinds of concrete suggestions can you give to this end? And I, I love that suggestion he gives for, you know, forming these tight bonds with one another. And um, I feel like while we have the privilege in America of being, um, you know, more independent within um, our church settings that we've allowed that sense of independence, American independence to creep up, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we move into these neighborhoods and then all of a sudden we get into the neighborhood and two years later, everyone's putting up fences because they're sick and tired of their neighbors and they start walling themselves off. And I feel like, you know, really to an extent we've done that in churches as well, where it's like, well, I'm here, I'm doing my thing and, and just kind of leave me alone and you do your thing where instead, you know, why, you know, why aren't we getting together as churches and, you know, setting up, you know, yearly 
meetings and things like that. I mean, I remember um, growing up, one of the things that I loved about my small town was there were, you know, several different churches all in the area. There was a Baptist, there were two Baptist churches. There was an Advent Christian church, not to be confused with the Seventh Day Adventist church. um, For those of you out there, Um, there was um, a Nazarene church um, and a couple others. And every uh, year, following the big town um, parade and things like that, you would have, you know, the opening of, you know, the town ceremonies and all that stuff, um, the fair, the craft show. And then, you know, that would go through Saturday. And then on Sunday, all the churches, all the pastors would get together and they would, you know, invite the churches under the big tent where the fair was just held. And, and, you know, it would be open to the public to come. I mean, churches always open to the public, but this would be in a public setting and area where people would come and listen to the gospel being preached from all the different pastors and all the different churches in the area coming together and unifying. I mean, I remember several times throughout the year getting together with youth groups from other churches and, you know, trying to network together and be like, okay, we want to, we want to come together as the body of Christ and show this little town that we're in that this is what the body of Christ does, that even though we have you know, the, these doctrinal differences, that we still love one another and we're still united under the gospel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I, you know, seeing each other as not brothers and sisters but competition, this, this very consumeristic view, we're all, it, it feeds in also to the – he makes this allusion – and what I guess I just realized and remembered was not an article but an interview. But the guy's so eloquent that you're reading his 18-paragraph answers, and it yeah. feels like an article. <laughs> um, either he memorized all this, or he's you know British people are often very uh, good on the fly and, and and good at putting together uh, these these very eloquent sayings. Uh, but he, he alludes to our being content to kind of reshuffle and rewin people of Christian background. Yeah. Without ever winning what he calls native secularists, and he describes them as people in their twenties or thirties who have always had, have always been kind of had these postmodern worldview that has been permeating everything. Yeah, uh, and it's very hard to do. But you know, they did it in in uh, the first century, no problem. I preached yeah. through First Corinthians not that long ago, and I yoinked a line from the White Horse Inn uh, to name the series, which was. Uh, being the church in a pre-Christian world, and then I put a little like thing over pre to post. Like yeah. we're dealing with a very similar situation, and we need to look back to how that was handled. Yeah. You can no longer assume this guy you're talking to probably went to Sunday school as a kid and then just wandered away. Probably knows quite a bit about the Bible, and you have some common ground. And you got to start at literally square zero with people now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, teaching middle school. Um, I'll reference, you know, simple, simple Bible stories, you know, um, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, Noah in the flood, you know, Moses parting the things like that. And it's like, you know, kids looking at me like, what, what are you talking about? You know, where growing up, I remember literally everyone, whether they were um, a believer or not, at least knew something of, you know, the basics of Sunday school. You know, the basic stories were there. They, you know, they were familiar with them at a base level where now there's just, there is nothing. Well, yeah. And given in the church, it's not uncommon for me. Uh, My son goes to a Lutheran school, great school. He's learning the scriptures real well. We read the Bible together a lot. But, you know, if I have six or seven people 
in a little study group or something, I might say, you know, uh, for example, David and uh, Bathsheba uh, committed adultery. She bore a son. That child died. Then she had another son, and his name was – and my kid will go, Solomon. And a few other people will go, yeah, Solomon. And, and, and I'll get blank stares from people who have been in the church for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, we, we're not in the word either. You know, that, right. that's, uh, you want to just kind of forget these Tuesday prophecies from, from, uh, people across the pond and say, let's go to the word. There's coming a, uh, famine, not of food, but a famine of the word. Yeah. And we're experiencing that now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that has to do with the, the culture of the church, because at one point, you know, at one point, Sunday school in the church was necessary because kids, um, even, you know, adults weren't getting education. And so Sunday school was an opportunity to educate people using the Bible, using scripture. And it kind of stayed and lasted as a tradition. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, it, it began fading away out of churches. And I think the problem is that many churches aren't preaching exegetically throughout scripture. And so there are huge gaps that are missing in biblical education. You know, I think, I think if a church is faithfully going through scripture, then it can, it can sustain something like that. But when, you know, you're, you're preaching topically and like Dr. Phil, you're missing huge lapses in the education that you see with, you know, learning about the the point of scripture and seeing how everything connects from you know in the beginning there's this perfect creation that we screw up and God promises that he's going to fix it and make it right and then moving throughout history and seeing that redemptive theme that kind of goes throughout it you miss that when you go through and you know you think everything is about you know hugs and kisses and hearts and feelings and you know you, you don't go beyond that yeah, and there's the whole moralistic therapeutic deism piece. Um, right. You know, Christian Smith and 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 the the kind of discovery that there's no difference between Christian uh, Christian education and Mormon and the kind of positive uh, stuff kids are absorbing at school, public school. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all become you know just just with a little little God twist to it, but it's all the same stuff. And in a world where you're preparing for exile or in a world, say, for in the actual Babylonian exile, mm -hmm. if you want to continue to have any kind of cultural uh, values or cohesive cultural identity to pass on, you have to be very intentional about teaching the reason we're here, teaching those documents and why they matter and all of them, not cherry picking cute little stories. Yeah. And I – I can't think of a single Old Testament story that is taught in a Sunday school, an average Sunday school class. I have great teachers at my church that are spectacular with the meta narrative and everything. But the stuff I got as a kid, that I can't think of one story that's taught with its original intended purpose intact. Yeah. It becomes dare to be like Daniel, right. you be David and slay your Goliath. Right. God, you know. Little guys can do big things too, like Junior Asparagus. Right. Um, and yeah, if, if that's what we're feeding kids, yeah, there's a famine of the word because that's not that's not God's word. And yeah, I mean, end of the day, it, you say, if Dr. Phil, here's my closing thought, and then you can really take it home. 
I feel like I don't I don't see the alarm bells of the impending everything that's happening in England is going to happen here next and everything that's that's uh, on the table in England is going to happen there and then come here next. I, I'm not that reactionary, right. but I think we ought to be ready for it anyway. I think Christians right. anywhere, anytime, if you aren't ready to literally take up your cross and follow him, um, you know, find something better to do on Sundays that's uh, more exciting. And I mean, what, what's the point of, of going through these motions if it's only fair weather Christianity, if it's not going to sustain any kind of opposition or, or being um, – What's the term that you hear all the time? Othered. If if, if it's right. not going to sustain being mocked and yeah. and persecuted, then it's useless. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean I agree one hundred percent. I think I think that's the real you know the real crux of it is you know what what you said about um, you know not being surprised what's going on, but being prepared, not throwing your hands up and saying you know oh the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know I think. I think to an extent acknowledging that at any time the sky could fall you know in terms of Christianity and in terms of what we quote unquote lose with our Christian rights here in America but also understanding that as as a believer that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world to happen um that that the church may even end up thriving more so than it does um under that type of persecution and I think I, I think you would agree with this, Zach, that I, I think for me that would be something uh, I, I don't want to see happen. I think that would be a sad thing to happen. Um, but I also want to make sure that that I'm ready for it when it does happen. Yeah, yeah. And the the hard thing is thinking about your kids, thinking yeah. about you know the next generation, thinking about what what it means – you know, I, I don't like the idea of this church building. I'm sitting in my, my study at the church right now. Yeah. I don't like the idea of this being something else or being empty because, you know, churches are kind of forced. But that's that's okay if that happens. The church isn't the building. Right. I do do get really upset thinking about um, my my son being placed in a position as he grows up in this world that is I mean, I'm not I'm not denying it. it's increasingly hostile to Christianity, right. Western culture in general. And I don't even like to think about what is going to be the logical uh, next step that he's going to have to deal with that maybe I'm not. And then that yeah. his children are going to have to deal with. It's a, uh, it's, it's not a real, we're, we're going to lose listeners here because this is such a <laughs> bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, like you can't help but just when you see scripture, just you know, know that it, it's coming. I mean, that 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 is coming. You know, I mean, and and yes, I fully one hundred percent believe that God can do a miraculous thing and turn um, turn hearts around. That people can become less hostile to the gospel. I, I fully believe God is capable of of doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's coming. It's going to come. You know, but at the end of the day. I mean, you know, if if we look at what, you know, the disciples went through, um, I don't think we're anywhere close to facing anything like that in our lifetime. And and like you said, you know, that's that's something to think about for the future generations that are coming. Where will they be? But you know what? Right now, if the worst we have to endure at this moment in time 
um, is as, as the church in general is like, okay, we're going to lose our tax status. And, and I, you know, you were talking about some of those stories where, you know, um, homeschool families are, you know, having their children taken away from them and, you know, um, families who are deciding, you know, what we're not going to give our children, these, uh, gender hormone treatments, you know, taken away from them. You know, I mean, I think you can find pieces, um, you know, from the early nineties where, where you have those kind of pulling things that have occurred from different families here and there. Um, you know, but, but at the same time, if we remain faithful to the call to preach the gospel, then, you know, that's, that's what we are called to do. Um, so, um, let's leave it on that note. We're called to preach the gospel and we can do that under any circumstance. Yeah. And that, and that is the solution, uh, to the problem. Uh, and the gospel is not, I don't think where that interview slash article left it, which I, I believe I've just determined is why the thing left kind of a, a not a bad taste but just an unsatisfying note yeah. you know it, it didn't it didn't come back around to proclaim the gospel it came to get ready for it to be harder yeah um that's almost another version in my mind of culture war right yeah. it's yeah. just it, we're hunkering down and circling the wagons instead right. of riding out on our horse right either way the emphasis is still off the gospel and it needs to, the, the light needs to be back on that. You're, yeah. you're, you're right on. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, we are, um, we are facing technical difficulties, which, um, you know, I should be able to edit most of those out in the post. So hopefully this will seem seamless and people will be like, what was he talking about? Um, Hilarious technical difficulties. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My computer called you by itself. <laughs> it's possessed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but real Didn't quick, want us to rock the Casbah. I know, right? Um, but before we do rock the Casbah, I want to just um, shout out to our listeners. Just say, hey, um, want you to go ahead and um, there are three different podcasts that you can like on um, iTunes and put reviews on. These go to eleven, obviously, is one of them. Um, Clinch, which I have been um, rocking my way through, man, and I have been um, so enjoying that. You have a. Um, and, and I totally mean this. You have a great gift to be able to host that thing on your own. Um, I would never be able to do something like that. Um, that is that is awesome. So kudos to you for being able to to um, just entertain in that capacity. That is um, thank you, sir. Fastly becoming one of my favorites. Um, and then of course the gut check with you and Ted, and um, you know you guys have uh, various other guests on there at different times. Um, always enjoyable to listen to. Um, what goes on over at, um, the gut check podcast as well. So, um, like those on iTunes, um, we're going to be doing, um, a contest coming up soon. Uh, I'm going to be talking to you about that, Zach, um, kind of off air, but we'll do a contest coming up soon for the month of, um, February, March. If, um, throughout February, I noticed that, um, these go to 11, got a like, but if between now and the end of March, um, you guys go up there and you rate and write something on there, the most important thing is doing the writing. Um, on iTunes, on um, any of those three podcasts, um, we'll take note of that and we will send out um, a gift for you and that will be um, forthcoming. So you have now till the end of March to do that. So um, Zach, we're going to go ahead and sign off now, man. We just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11. <laughs>